G'day everyone, welcome to another edition of Wrestling All-Star on SoundCloud, Spotify and Podbean. You can follow the show on social media at Wrestle All-Star or just search Wrestling All-Star. I'm your host Chris Funderhog and you can follow me on Twitter at IamChrisFunder. But now it's time to hand over to the better man of the show, Mr. Alex Fruity Williams. Alex, where can the good people find you? Yeah, I'm at Fruity is Alex on Twitter, Instagram and all that good stuff. Yeah, pretty keen to get into this show today. A um, couple of my favourite shows of all time. Just quickly, because we had mentioned on our previous show that we may go back and watch the Impact this week. We actually did. <laughs> so, um, I suppose, was there anything really stand out on the Impact for yourself? Yeah, that main event. Yeah, that was a fantastic main event. Uh, also, the opening match of the show, the rematch between Willie Mack and Chris Bay was really good. Yeah, the machine guns haven't really lost a step considering, um, was it Shelley who was out for over a year with an injury? Uh, Saban. Yeah, Shelley was in NXT not long ago, actually. Yeah, yeah, so the the shock result there, the, the machine guns are your new Impact Tag Team Champs again. Yeah, I think that's the right up. The right decision there by Impact, as much as the North had pretty much been carrying the tag division for over a year, one of the most like positive things I saw on Twitter about Slammiversary was the return of the machine guns. Like all the other surprises, people were like kind of split on whether it was good or not, but. Not a single person had anything bad to say about the machine guns, so I think that was a good idea to put the titles on them. I suppose moving from the machine guns to the machine gun and Doc, they uh, turned up again in the ring to uh, talk, but they haven't had a match yet. Anderson and Gallows might be more so in the uh, upper card main event sort of picture before they get into it with the tag titles and all that, which I think is a good spot to put them in. It sort of makes them seem like a bigger deal. Um, I was a bit weirded out by Carl Anderson's promo on Impact. He was so laid back, and it was, like, kind of cool, but also kind of, like, emotionless as well. He comes out, and he just, like, crosses his arms, and he just goes... Hey, yo. I always wanted to say that. Okay, cool. But I I guess, like, it might be a bit hard because they've got a completely empty arena, basically, to even, like, muster up some good energy on the promos. But that one was a bit... It was a bit iffy for me. Uh, they did do some good stuff on there, though. Um, Gallows was really good on the mic, something that he's never really had the chance to show before. So I look forward to seeing a bit more of where they go and setting up a feud with Ace Austin and Madman Fulton's probably a good spot for them. Yeah, and then I suppose, lastly, um, any of the other surprise returns or debuts that you thought were good? Well, um, I like the direction with EC3 if you didn't have Josh Matthews on commentary. Who's commentarying with him? 
Uh, it was his wife, Madison Rain, which would make you think on paper they would have good chemistry in the commentary booth because, well, they're married. But, yeah, Josh Matthews has better chemistry with Don Callis than he does his own wife, so. But EC3 does a run-in, attacks Moose, all that good stuff, and as he's running away, like, Josh, like, so forced, just squeezes in. EC3 is controlling his own narrative. It was like, man, I've never heard a more blatantly fed line before on commentary than that like it was so gross yeah and then i suppose uh he trying to get into the building again <laughs> yeah i was really hoping they wouldn't go this route with heath i think the other week on raw we got to see a good bit of what heath could do in a little bit more of a serious capacity but no his Back to being a guy who's just a bit of a loser, who uh, can't get into the arena. His friends aren't answering the phone when he calls and all that sort of stuff. And speaking of which, geez, I I haven't seen Hernandez in years, but uh, he looks every bit of the amount of time it's been since I last saw him. He's looking old, boy. Yeah, well, I guess he is now. Yeah, it's just crazy because, like, I remember, like, 10 years ago or even before that, like, thinking, oh, Hernandez is going to be, like, a top, like, world champ for him one day, and it just never happened, and probably rightfully so. But, yeah, yeah, it's just interesting to see him and Rhino sort of doing this weird feud over money, I guess, because maybe they're just trying to tell us that they're not getting paid enough by Impact, so they have to fight for any other money they can get. Yeah, it's like what we're about to talk about in a minute, a company that sort of had that reputation with Rhino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I suppose the last sort of tease that I suppose you were very excited to see was... Uh... Deliberately was leaving that to last... Um... Oh, it's just a little teaser, a little video package. Um, not much to it, but yeah, it was well shot, well produced. Um, I, I know Impact's copying a lot of criticism for bringing in Kurt Hawkins because, quote-unquote, oh, he's just a jobber and blah, blah, blah. But, like, he made being a jobber work for him. Like... Like, go back and watch the WrestleMania 35 pre-show when him and Zack Ryder beat the Revival for the tag titles. The crowd was going nuts. Like, he didn't have much to work with, but he still made it work. And in my opinion, he might actually be the more talented of the two, of him and Mr. Matt Cardona, Zack Ryder. But, um... Yeah, so I'm really excited to see what Brian Myers, the former Kurt Hawkins, can do in Impact. And I know he's a big Impact slash TNA fan from listening to his wrestling figure podcast. He talks about collecting 
TNA figures all the time and stuff. So, yeah, I'm really happy for him, actually. Um, so from TNA, have you watched any of AEW? Yeah, I've watched AEW. Um... I just want to quickly just touch on the um, whole mask situation here. Yeah, of course, go for it. During the opening match, the um, Cody TNT Open Challenge, they show a close-up of a section of the babyface crowd, and there's five wrestlers here, all of whom aren't wearing a mask except Pineapple Pete, who's using it as a beard protector. Yeah, that's an issue. And also, I noticed, if you look over the other side of the crowd where the heels are, a lot more of the heels are wearing the masks instead of the baby faces. And I don't know if it's a bit too old school for me to say this, but like having the heels wear it instead of the baby faces, that's not really sending out that good of an impression. If anything, you want the baby faces to be wearing the masks all the time. But I don't know if that's too old school or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like... The rate in the US is so bad, and just doing this simple... Ma- like, for God's sake, they're selling them on their shop still, like... You think, oh, okay, I'll wear one, or like, I've got a t-shirt, I'll buy an extra t-shirt, cut it down and make a a um, Sunny Kiss mask or a Hikaru Shida mask, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, and then, like... Later on in the show, some of the baby faces are wearing it, but then they've taken it back off again. It's just like I'm also curious as as to what the mandate is, like what AEW management have told the people out in the crowd they can do with their masks. I'm just curious to know what the orders are there. It, it, it's very um. Surprising now seeing WWE's got this whole no tolerance to removing it whilst in the building on tape. Have you noticed um, Daniel Verdeau in the crowd? Obviously, he's like one of the most noticeable people in the crowds of the raw tapings and all that. But like every time the Iconics come out each week, he does like he puts his fist up against the barricade and like this week, Peyton Royce did the fist back to him, so just showing a bit of Aussie pride, and I love that. Didn't he have a match on SmackDown one week during the whole COVID era? That's very possible. I've quite frankly got better things to do with my Saturday morning, so I stopped watching SmackDowns, but... Believe me, the whole memory of wrestling and even football at this time, it's all one big blur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bloody oath, and... We're getting footy every day now, so... More Jacko talk. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So from there, do you want to jump into the main event of the review? Yeah, uh, just quickly. um, I just quickly want to touch back on AEW that um, the promos on AEW this week were just phenomenal. Uh, You kick off the show with... A cold open, Eddie Kingston's promo was just, it was perfection. You get Taz in there cutting an awesome promo, MJF. And as far as I'm concerned, probably as much as I wouldn't have believed I would be saying this when AEW first started, the star of 
AEW, Britt Baker, just amazing stuff. Oh, absolutely. Her whole role model at the moment is really uh, turned a corner for her. Yeah, definitely. And um, if you're going to go out and watch any matches from Dynamite, watch the Cody versus Eddie Kingston match and watch the um, Young Bucks versus the Butcher and the Blade. I've really enjoyed those two matches. And those are two matches that are very much in the style of a certain uh, Philadelphia promotion that we can segue into our main event of the episode. Yeah, so this is Wrestling All Soul, episode number 14. Pick your poison number two, the best of ECW, one night stands 2005 and 2006. I sent you that link to the uh, Hilltop Hoods restrung where they've got the sample of Paul Heyman talking before Barely Legal and they've got the classical music under it. What did you think of that? Yeah, that was actually really cool. Uh, I'm not much of a gym head, but if I was, that's definitely going into the workout playlist. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's just one of those things that, for whatever reason, Oz Hip Hop seems to love wrestling. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, I, I'm honestly not into the Oz hip-hop scene that much, but, um, yeah, definitely send me a few more links of the crossover off-air, thanks. Yeah, more, I, I love crossover stuff, so, yeah. So from there we can go into ECW One Night Stand 2005. So this is like a anniversary-type show, a reunion-type show. So commentary is done by Joe Styles and Mick Foley, did you happen to watch this one at the time? Yeah, I actually have pretty good memories. Like, towards the end of... I was about to say my run in high school. <laughs> like, I, like, I did... Like, I had a run in some territory somewhere. But you know, back when I had my run for Vince Jr. up in New York... Um, yeah, back towards the end of my high school years... Uh, the good old video shop had a DVD of ECW One Night Stand 05 and 06. And, um, yeah, I used to just sort of rent those uh, pretty consistently. Fair enough. Um, For myself, I hadn't really watched these until the network. So when the network um came about, these were two of the first shows that I went back and actually watched. So... This is just going to be sort of a brief rundown and overall thoughts. Uh, the first match was Lance Storm with Don Marie defeating Lionheart Chris Jericho after a run-in from Jason Hive and Justin Credible in 7.22. During the match, there was a chance for Chris Candido, who'd passed away in May of that year. This was such a good match. I really enjoyed this. And seeing Chris Jericho come out in his old Lionheart gear and the vest with the airbrush on the back and all that sort of stuff, like, yeah, that was really cool. The commentary kept talking about the history of Lance Storm and Chris Jericho, like they came up in the business together, had their first matches together and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, this was a really, really good opener have to agree there did you watch on the network or the dvd i should ask i watched on the network um yeah i don't have the dvd like i said i used to rent it if i had it 
I do specifically remember on the DVD that I used to rent that you got Sandman coming out to enter Sandman on the DVD. And another little tidbit, I probably should have saved it for later, but there's a DVD extra where after JBL comes out uh, with the SmackDown Crusaders, they called them, they add a special DVD commentary where they just recorded JBL talking about the matches whilst he's getting getting pissed up in the stands. And from my memory, it was just as hilarious as you could imagine. I, I really enjoyed this first match, and um, it was a good good way to set the show up for the rest of the night. And this crowd, this crowd was just amazing the entire night. Oh, man. Especially uh, watching this with the eyes. Like, I pretty much watched this straight after watching an Impact show where there was no crowd. So, um, yeah, watching this with uh, COVID eyes is just an absolute mind blow for myself. Um, Yeah, the crowd was sensational. So then they have Pitbull Gary in the back and he presents the ECW Remembers video showing various clips of former ECW wrestlers who have since passed away. They showed Rocco Rock, Terry Gordy, Mike Lockwood, the original Sheik, Mike Lazansky, Pitbull Anthony, Big Dick Dudley and Chris Candido. I thought this was really good and I'm surprised like the Hall of Fame doesn't do this every year just for any of the legends who have passed away. Like, yes, you're doing a little clip on Raw and um, SmackDown and that, but to do it at the Hall of Fame, I think it'd also be a nice touch. I've honestly never thought about that before, and, yeah, that would be a sensational idea. Um... The only reason I think of that is, like, if you're watching something like, say, the Oscars, the Oscars do it every year for any um, major actor or director or, uh, like, that type of person in the industry who's passed away yeah definitely i have to agree um yeah that'd be great so next is a ecw freeway dance match the way this works is first man pinned or submitted goes to the back and then it becomes a singles match little guido with the fbi big guido tj smith tony marmaluke and tracy smothers tajiri with mikey whipwreck and the sinister minister and Super Crazy on his own. During the match, uh, Super Crazy is doing punches in the corner and the crowd chants in Spanish. I think in the Rise and Fall episode we did, I talked about how I had a couple of ECW DVDs I purchased from the Reject shop as a kid. Well, Mum did, because they were rated R. But um, Super Crazy was in the main event against Rhino on one of those pay-per-views, and the crowd just counts in Spanish for everything for Super Crazy on that pay-per-view. And it was just really cool to see him get that exact same treatment again on this pay-per-view here. They knew exactly the guys they were coming to see and what they expected. So first out was Little Guido, where Tajiri got the pinfall, and then it became Super Crazy and Tajiri, and Super Crazy pinned Tajiri in a total time of 6-12. Like, this match was just wall-to-wall action during the entire match. At one point, the Sinister Minister and Mikey Whipwreck get in, all the FBI get in, so it's 
I thought it was a really fun little um, sort of light heavyweight cruiserweight type match. Super Crazy was so good. Just like absolutely just in, insane, no pun intended, but yeah. And Was he with WWF for long? Uh, well, after this show, he gets signed to a contract and gets the unfortunate gimmick of the Mexicals with, oh. with Psychosis, who also got signed after this show as well. Were the Mexicals a lawnmower-riding tag team? Yeah, so it was Juventud Guerrero, Psychosis, and Super Crazy, and they were in janitor outfits, and they were riding lawnmowers to the ring. Yeah, you can see why those guys sort of never really came back after that. <laughs> yeah, Psychosis and Hooventude ended up quitting not too long after that. Super Crazy stuck around till like, 09. So speaking of Psychosis, we move on to Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis in a singles match. Psychosis is wearing his mask during the entrance, but takes it off before the bell, and the crowd chants, put your mask back on. But he'd lost a mask match in 1996, before remasking for ECW and WCW. <laughs> yeah, and then he ended up losing a mask match in WCW against Chris Jericho. So um, I get why he wrestled without the mask on, but yeah, he looked infinitely cooler when he had that mask on anyway, so should have kept it on. A, a really good um showcase of Lucha Libre, and already in the first three matches we've had a a showcase of sort of your um, technical wrestling, your, uh, your cruiserweight style, now your Lucha Libre style. So we've already had three different matches that ECW sort of doesn't get recognised for, but it's not your typical hardcore style. The race psychosis match, geez, what a showcase. Yeah, exactly. Did you notice how much heat Rey Mysterio got for doing the 619? Yeah, he teases it and he just gets booed. Yeah, like, they did not like him doing his WWE finisher. They did not want anything to do with his WWE presentation. In the end, um, Rey Mysterio defeats Psychosis here. I think the right decision, Rey being a, um established WWE guy, so you're going to have more longevity in him, I guess, with hindsight. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You want to talk about the post-match here, or...? Um, you can, sorry. Yeah, so just after this, and I'll let you finish off, because I know you've got more extensive notes, but I have a um, one particular memorable line from this. The SmackDown Crusaders come out and go to the balcony where they're going to heckle and do all their heelish nonsense for the rest of the night. But as they're coming out, JBL's flashing his ticket and Rey Mysterio's in the ring just staring at him and he goes, what are you doing here? And JBL just without a, a single thought just yells out <laughs> the top of his lungs. He wasn't even mic'd up. I got a ticket, you little Mexican. Oh, jeez. Yeah, now I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like, yeah, it, in 2020, that probably doesn't fly, but he's just, especially when you know, like, how close he was with the Guerreros and the and Rey Mysterio and stuff, it's just hilarious, JBL's delivery of it all. Yeah, so the, the SmackDown team arrives, that's Kurt Angle, JBL, 
Doug Basham, Danny Basham, Orlando Jordan, Carlito, and the blueprint himself, Matt Morgan. Out of everyone you just mentioned, um, I'm just going to do a little quick bit of trivia for you. Who is the... Who is the one with the connections to the Australian wrestling scene? Orlando Jordan. Yeah, he, he lives in Australia and he has a wrestling school somewhere around here. So As they go into the balcony, former ECW member Joel Gertner tries to interview him. JBL kicks him out. Then Kurt and JBL berate the ECW crowd. They get chance of FU Smackdown, chance of you suck dick to Kurt Angle, to which he replies... Without missing a beat, your mother taught me how. <laughs> so he's not denying it. Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> then Chance of shut the F up. And this is the point where RVD comes out with... Um, yeah, with uh, Fonzie, Bill Alfonso. Former ECW ref. We talked about him uh, last episode having that match with Bueller. He was also uh, just me being a stupid wrestling encyclopedia sometimes. He was a referee for the WWF in the 80s as well. He was a referee in a lot of the early WrestleManias and stuff like that. Yeah. There you go. Chance of RVD, Rob Van Dam, and the whole effing show. All of a sudden, Rhino runs in and gores RVD. The lights go out, and as they come back on, Sabu's appeared. <laughs> and before the match, Sabu gets chance of, you got fired. <laughs> No, that wasn't the Sabu. Oh, who was it towards? It was to Rhino. So um, that year at WrestleMania. So I, I've got a little bit more of this backstage knowledge because I've recently listened to Bruce Pritchard's Something to Wrestle podcast about ACW One Night Stand 05. So um, at WrestleMania that year... They had the WrestleMania after party and Rhino got a little bit too drunk, started an altercation, and he ended up getting fired. And he was never seen in the company until one night stand. And then not too long after this, Rhino goes to TNA. So I thought the chance here were for Sabu, who got fired publicly on ECW TV, but that was actually for Rhino, who had been fired from WWE. Yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, it was um big dirt sheet news at the time. There was a lot of mystery about it and small amounts of information leaking out. And yeah, Rhino made a big fool of himself at the WrestleMania after party. So from there, we go on to the match. Of course, Rob Van Dam couldn't wrestle on this show because he had injured himself. At one point, he was wearing a knee brace. So it's Sabu versus Rhino. Goes about 6 minutes 30, and Sabu gets the win here. Absolute right decision with the connection to RVD there. Yeah, definitely. And especially knowing what you know now about what I told you about Rhino, probably a good idea to not let Rhino get the win there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I didn't realise that at the time. But yeah, now realising this after I've watched it again and... um. Yeah, that, that decision makes total sense now. Yeah, and this was Rhino's last kind of... Well, technically, it was the WWE pro production. It was his last appearance for the WWE until 2016, I believe, when he returned for the Heath Slater gimmick. Oh, really? Did he never come back for the ECW run on TV? 
No, he did not. He was in TNA for most of that time. Yeah. He was in TNA and had a brief run in Ring of Honor. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, so from there, they show Al Snow backstage talking to Head. He blames Head for inviting the WWE to the show. Yeah, I, I love this. Um, honestly, Al Snow is a really, really talented in-ring performer. I would have liked to have seen him have a match on the card, to be honest. I suppose you only have so much time being a pay-per-view era show. I feel like you could have possibly have squeezed him in with that three-way dance, made it a four-way. You could have found a spot for him, I just feel like, but... Yeah, still good to have him do his promo and acting all wacky and all that. That could be said about a, a lot of the guys on the on the show. If you had more time, you could have done more. Yeah, so he blames Head for inviting WWE, and then at that stage, Raw shows up. It's Eric Bischoff, Jonathan Coach Coachman, Edge Christian, Tyson Tomko, Snitsky, Sylvan, and Renee Dupree with William Regal. Yeah, um... Holy 2005, Batman. Um, Like, looking at these two teams they chose to defend, (laughs) SmackDown and Raw, and seeing how many people would still be there when I came back in 2011, 2012. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah, not many, is there? They definitely picked the right guys, though, because you don't want to pick, like... You don't want to pick, like, a... Undertaker or John Cena or anyone that could sort of take too much attention away from what's happening in the ring. You got to pick your um, like your Snitskys and your Tomkos and your your Matt Morgans and all that sort of stuff instead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so from there they go into a match. I'm going to be completely honest. I skipped it. Um, so it's Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. It's labelled on the network as Eddie Guerrero competes in a singles match. Um, if you want to talk about it, Alex, feel free to talk about it. Yeah, so this match was a good match. These two guys are two of the best technical wrestlers bell to bell of all time. One of these people is an absolute piece of you-know-what. But... Um, listening to Bruce Pritchard's podcast... He talks about how after this match, there was a massive backstage argument between Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Eddie Guerrero was absolutely pissed about this match because the crowd the entire time just kept chanting slander and you screwed Matt to Edge. They The crowd the entire time did not pay attention to Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit in a technical wrestling match in the middle of the ring. They were all focused on Edge because at that time it was the middle of the whole leader cheats on Matt Hardy with Edge sort of deal and then Matt Hardy got fired. So, so yeah, um, and towards the end of the match, like, it was very visible that Eddie Guerrero was very angry. But I still thought it was a good match, but yeah. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, just as someone who wasn't watching ECW at the time, Benoit was big there, or WCW at the time, he was big there, or WWE at the time, he was big there. I just, I just can't 
unsee that guy in that that image where he is just terrible and I can't separate it, so I can't be unbiased in his matches. And honestly, the only Benoit match I've ever gone back and watched was the Royal Rumble with that Tough Enough winner. Million dollar Tough Enough winner where they went and he was in like three or four. Oh, Daniel Pewter and like Eddie and Benoit and Hardcore Holly and someone else maybe all just took turns at like chopping the absolute crap out of him. Yeah, and he's eliminated like when number six is coming out and then whoever was supposed to be eliminated before him's like eliminated seconds after Pewter. That's the that's the only match I've ever gone back and, and watched. Um yeah, so Benoit ends up defeating Guerrero in ten thirty seven. Yeah, I, I wish Chris Benoit had shit entrance music because his entrance music hit and for obvious reasons I don't go out of my way too often to watch Chris Benoit matches or listen to his entrance song. His entrance music was just so good. It's just an absolute banger and I wish someone else had that song because I still want to hear it to this day. Yeah, that was just another little note I made during this match. The music was just so good. Um, So from there, Joel Gertner tries to interview Team Raw and is told off by Eric Bischoff. Then we go on to match number six. It's Mike Awesome and Masawa Tanaka. Oh, my God. This match is one of my, like, favourite matches of all time. Oh, this is so good. And that they and Mike Awesome is one of the few ECW guys that on the network actually gets to keep his ECW music. Oh wow, I, I had not even um realized that. <laughs> yeah, so his music was actually created by a musician that sort of worked backstage for ECW at the time. So technically when WWE bought ECW this was the only bit of, like, original produced ECW music besides the intro music. So they got the rights to this as well. And his theme song is so good. And his just overall presentation of him just coming out. Oh, man. And then this match was just, yes, CTE is an issue. And there's a lot of issues that get caused in this match, probably. But you just flick your um, flick your morals off for a second and just sit back and enjoy it. It is just a spectacle. It is a train wreck. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this match. Of course, there's the now infamous Joey Styles line, um, which he has gone on to apologize a number of times since. Um, do you know the line I'm referring to? Yeah, um, Mike Awesome goes out and does a, as Excalibur would say, a tope suicida. And uh, Joey Styles pretty much says that he wished Mike Awesome would commit. You know what? And, of course, later on, a couple of years later, Mike Awesome actually does. And... It makes it an uncomfortable line to watch with hindsight. I just 
put this in the mindset of Styles is bitter, this guy sold out ECW to go to WCW as their world champion and was going to drop the title in the bin on Nitro. Yeah, and my biggest issue with it was that Joey Styles sort of hijacked this match for the first half of it just to get his own opinions over and sort of just bury Mike Awesome and all that sort of stuff. Um, it sort of ruins the early half of the match. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And Mick Foley keeps trying to tell him, there, you've done it. <laughs> Are you happy now? Can we go back to, to enjoying this match? So halfway through the match, the Raw members have stood up and turned their backs on the match towards the ring, so they're now facing the wall. And the fans get up and give Awesome Tanaka a standing ovation mid-match. Yeah, it was just so good. There's a couple of issues with the finish, with the big Awesome Bomb to the outside and the camera not picking up correctly. Mike Awesome doing the big dive to the outside, but it wouldn't be ECW without a couple of production errors. Yeah, and it's part of its charm, I suppose. So in the end, Mike Awesome defeats... Tanaka in 9.52. So all these matches so far have been about 10 minutes or less. So it's been a pretty fast moving show. Yeah, I'm honestly shocked because I I don't time the matches or look up all that sort of stuff. And I, I pretty much only see the match times when you share your notes with me. And I'm looking at the match times for these first, what is it, six Six matches, barely anything's over 10 minutes. There's one match that's 37 seconds over 10 minutes. Yeah, and that's just bell to bell. That's not entrances and what happens in between. But Yeah, because this match felt like, I don't know, I've watched Masato, Tanaka, and Mark Awesome all the time. Like, their original matches in ECW and this match I've watched, I watch fairly regularly, actually. Like, at least once or twice a year. And every time I watch this match, I feel, like, physically exhausted after it. I feel like I've had a 30-minute match myself. But it's only a 10-minute match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just goes to, to show the extent of their, their wars they had in ECW. So from there, Paul Heyman enters the ring and bows to the crowd. There's chance of Paul Lee, and thank you, Paul. He starts to cry before saying... I'm not crying. I was in the back smoking a joint with Van Dam. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. Thanks, Todd Gordon, Ron Buffo, and his partner, Charlie Bezecki, and the fans as well of ECW. Calls out WWE and tells Eric that he has his towels between his legs coming to an ECW pay-per-view. Then says, hide your wives, it's Edge. Which the fans then chant, you screwed Matt to Edge. Says to JBL, the only reason you were WWE champion for a year is because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays. And then says before walking off, this ain't WCW, this ain't SmackDown, this ain't Raw, this ain't even WWE. This is ECFNW. Yeah, this was so badass. And he does that and the chance of ECW go wild and... I can't help but feel like you missed a couple of details there. Uh, One being, as Paul Heyman is talking, they show JBL up in the balcony and he's writing imaginary checks and bouncing them off the ground and watching them fly up in the air. 
It's so good. So good. JBL, Cowboy, talking ECW, went out of business, bad checks, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, he's just writing these checks. Ba-doing, ba-doing. It was so good. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, how could you not like JBL in this era, particularly on this show? There is an incident later on that we'll talk about that's not really likable, but... Yeah, JBL is so good here. And then the other thing you failed to mention is uh, two words. Matt freaking Hardy. JBL's going, that, that's three words, that's three. <laughs> can, can. Like, just as Paul Heyman's about to say it, Edge takes a big sip of beer and then as he says it, he spits his beer all over, over the balcony, probably all over the fans. And he just, like, puts up three fingers and, and then looks at Christian, looks at JBL. He's like, that was three words, right? Yeah, so Paul exits to Chance of EC-Dub. There was just Chance of EC-Dub the entire night. Like, this crowd. Oh, man. This crowd was so amazing. And it's not, this is awesome. We are awesome. Like, <laughs> it's actual chance that, like, are relevant to the guys in the ring. Yeah, or this is wrestling or stuff like that. It's just, yeah, I could probably go on for hours about how a lot of modern wrestling chants are just the worst. In North America, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So at some point in here, I noticed uh, this is probably going to go over your head. Uh, from Survivor Season 7, the Pearl Islands... Uh, competitor Johnny Fairplay was in the crowd. Oh my god. <laughs> I know what we need to review next. <laughs> you know his connection to wrestling, right? Yeah, he was in TNA for a while. Yeah. Why does everything we review trace back to TNA? I think deep down we love TNA. I, I, I think I do. I think I actually love TNA so much. It's because we wanted it to succeed. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would have killed for it to have succeeded. And also, I want Monty Brown in professional wrestling again. Just put that out in the universe. So, yeah, Johnny Fairplay. Yeah, Johnny Fairplay, the guy um, most famous in the early seasons of Survivor about lying about his grandma dying. Yeah, there's uh, the family reward in Survivor, and like he's there and his best friend comes down, he's asking him, oh, what what about where's grandma? He's like, oh, she didn't make it, dude. Yeah, she she died, dude. Everyone else is like feeling sorry for him, so they give up the challenge so he can go and spend time with his best friend. And then like in the TV like diary confessional, he's like, ah, oh, grandma's fine. She's probably at home watching Jerry Springer right now. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he said. I'm shocked you got that uh, memory down there. Um, also, he was very infamous for um. Whenever he wrote someone's name down at tribal, at the voting confessionals, he would say a wrestling line. Like there's times where he said, you don't throw rocks with the man that's holding a machine gun. Uh, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And he'd just say wrestling quotes when he wrote someone's name down to vote him off the island. So, yeah, I got a bit of a pop when I saw him in the crowd. Yeah, Survivor's also got another connection to TNA wrestling. Uh, a former Impact Wrestling world champion was on Survivor. 
Yeah, that too, but there was another one I was thinking of. I know, yeah. Uh, what was it? it? was the season before Johnny Fairplay, or it might have been two seasons before that. The winner of Survivor Amazon, Jenna Maraska versus Queen Charmel. Yep. Oh boy. Ah, <laughs> uh, ECW. Yes. From there, we go on to the main event of One Night Stand 05. It's the Dudley Boys, Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon Dudley versus Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman. Now, three of these entrances <laughs> on the WWE Network are perfectly fine. The fourth is absolute trash and just ruins the entrance. <laughs> yeah, so you sent me a link during the week and I got to watch the actual entrance. And I sent you a photo of me with like my arm literally covered in goosebumps. <laughs> It, yeah, so I watched the network version and it just... Da, 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 and the crowd's, like, so quiet during it. Yeah, but you can see them, like, you can clearly read their lips as they're mouthing the words to Enter Sandman. Yeah, so then Sandman uses Metallica's Enter Sandman. And he's coming through the crowd from, like, the top tier of the balconies. And he's drinking beer and brain beer everywhere, hitting himself in the head. And the whole crowd's just singing Enter Sandman. This was so great. I'm like, if you just insane. If you're ever gonna pay for one commercial song on the network, just pay for this. I watched something recently. Uh, was it? Yeah. So I did my extra homework as well, Chris, and I did watch ECW Untold. Yeah, where they talk about bringing back ECW. It's on the network. And Tommy Dreamer talks about when the music hits for the Sandman that night, and it is the most genuine smile he's ever been filmed giving. Because, like, Sandman's music hits, and Tommy Dreamer is just visibly marking out. He's just got this ear-to-ear grin on his face, and he's just, like, jumping up and down. Uh, I pointed out to you on that video that you sent me, Chris, like, the Dudleys are in the ring while Sandman's making his entrance and they're like headbanging and singing along to Metallica in the ring, despite being their opponents. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Just before Tommy smiles, what's um Joey say? Oh, I can't remember. This might be the last stand for a young Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. To- Tommy Dreamer at 34 years old, this might be his last hurrah. When, in fact, like, almost one of the few people on this card that's still wrestling. We just talked about him earlier in the week. 15 years later, he's wrestling on a TNA pay-per-view. So from there, they're about to start, and (laughs) the Blue World Order runs in. Man, the pop. The pop was so good. Like, this was another Goosebumps moment for it. I completely forgot about this until... I was re-watching, and I'm just like, isn't Blue Meanie on this show because that happens? And, oh, here he is. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, they come in, they say, we're taking over. Then they attack Sandman and Dreamer, which leads to Mr. TNA total non-stop attitude Kid Cash running in with Axel Rodden and Boss Mahoney. Yeah, it was actually really cool to see um, Axel and Balls get a bit of bit of spotlight here in the main event as well because they were like two of the guys that were 
sort of just bashing each other's skulls in with chairs from the beginning of ACW, and they were there towards the end as well. So it's cool for them to get a bit of spotlight here. There was chance of BWO as they say the line we're taking over. The crowd says it with them, and chance of balls. Then the six men who ran in brawl to the back going past the commentary booth. The match gets started. It's just plunder galore. Uh, at one stage, Landstorm, Just Incredible, and Francine run in, which leads to Beulah McGillicuddy also running in. Dude, uh, I, I marked out for Francine, and I marked out even harder for Beulah. There's chance of she's hardcore for Beulah. They go back, which leads to Spike <laughs> running down. There's chance of LSD for Spike. Yep. He pulls out lighter fluid. The Dudleys set the table on fire and powerbomb Dreamer for it for the wind. Yeah, it's so good. If you just wanted, like, one last ECW event, this was it. Yeah, and also to mention, uh, the Dudley boys came out in their old-school Dudleys tie-dye shirts, and and that was a really cool presentation for them, too. Um, yeah, this was just great, and it was the perfect guys to main event this show with. Uh, pretty much four guys that were the epitome of the ECW attitude. Uh, in an ideal world, you might have like a Shane Douglas or a Raven in there, but they were with TNA at the time, so they weren't able to be a part of it. They were running the um the other anniversary event they were running. Was it Hardcore Homecoming? Yes, yeah, so that was basically for all the TNA guys that weren't allowed to go to the one-night stand. Shane Douglas put up that thing for those guys. And um, there was actually a bit of a bidding war for Terry Funk to be on the show, and ultimately Terry Funk chose to go to Hardcore Homecoming instead of one-night stand, At at least on this particular year. So after the match, Sam Man's in the ring asking for a beer and then Steve Austin's music hits and he runs down to the ring to have a beer bash. Did you notice what shirt he was wearing? Uh, a Las Vegas Outlaws shirt from the XFL, I believe, was the team. Yeah, and Joey Styles goes, I'm not even going to make fun of what he's wearing. <laughs> yeah, and not only that, it's like old. It's faded. Like the number... The colour on the numbers are falling off. Like, this is just clearly Steve Austin's, like, I'm going to lounge around at home on a Sunday sort of shirt, and he's decided to wear it to this pay-per-view. He calls for everyone in the ECW locker room to come out and have a beer bash with him. He then challenges the WWE to enter the ring, saying, Kurt Angle, you gold medal son of a bitch. Pull your finger out of your ass and get down here before I count to ten. <laughs> I loved the line of "you gold medal son of a bitch," like "oh, oh, you got him there, Steve." Oof. So they walk through the crowd, and the crowd's just shouting at him the entire time. Bischoff goes up and joins commentary. The crowd's chanting for one ECW wrestler who hasn't appeared yet, and all of a sudden, Taz's music hits. <laughs> Oh, that was so good, too. He goes down the ring. There's a showdown between Taz and Angle. They go after each other, and then everyone brawls, including JBL going after Blue Meanie. Yeah. 
Oh. So after a few camera cuts, you can see Blue Meanie is leaning in the corner, busted wide open. ECW clear the ring and WWE retreats to the back. Then Mick Foley grabs Bischoff, drags him down to the ring where various wrestlers attack him. And then the Dudleys drag him out, throw him on a truck outside the building and the ECW wrestlers drink beer to celebrate as they go off the air. Yeah, overall, what do you think of this show? Do you want me to give my rating now? Because it's not much of a secret, to be honest. It's six beers. Like, this is as perfect of a show as you could put on. Like, it, it is a smorgasbord for wrestling fans. Like, whatever you like in wrestling, you're going to find something you like out of this show. Like, there's all sorts of flavors on here. You get the pops... You get the big surprises. You get the happy ending. You get some quality promos. It's just, yeah, you get everything from this pay-per-view. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I'm going to say six out of six. Yeah, well, this is our first six out of six show, right? Yeah, (laughs) I think so. So it runs for just over two hours, 38 minutes. And yeah, it doesn't feel that long. If anything, it feels too short. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, You're definitely left wanting more, which is why this was the perfect show to end ACW for good. Yeah, the the only negative I have on this show is JBL attacking Blue Meanie because when, when they zoom in on Stone Cold and you can see Blue Meanie walking across the bottom of the screen, it's zoomed in where you can see his face and his face is all busted that's pretty bad. Yeah, so the backstory there is reportedly Blue Meanie had said a few things online and JBL was not happy about it. Oh, JBL was in the ring and this is what Bruce Pritchard said was JBL's excuse. JBL felt someone hit him hard in the back of the head and he turned around and Blue Meanie was standing there. Apparently it wasn't Blue Meanie in the end that actually did it. But then JBL put that together with his already like seeing Blue Meanie say a few derogatory things about JBL, about how he treated Blue Meanie from Blue Meanie's original WWF run. Um, JBL was not happy, so he went in and laid the beat down on Blue Meanie, and Blue Meanie is a red Meanie by the end of it. Yes, yes, sadly. Um, yeah, so from there, would you like to jump through One Night Stand 2006? Uh, quickly, let's introduce a new on-the-spot award. Performer of the show. Ooh, okay. Um, yeah, this is going to be hard. <laughs> Do you already have one picked out? Oh, yeah, uh, 100%, because this is my one chance to be able to do it. I think I know where you're going, but go ahead. Mike Awesome. Yeah. He was so good. But um, it's hard to look past guys like um, like Jericho in the opening match, Ray against Psychosis. Um, if you go by p- the phrase performer, like Sandman. Like, everything he did, besides the wrestling, was amazing. Like, 
him like desperately pleading and begging Steve Austin to finally let him have a beard. <laughs> Here you go, kid. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, God damn it, kid. Leave me alone, would you? Here you go. Have a goddamn beer. Yeah. I'm I'm just gonna have to say Sandman for that entrance alone. It's an entrance of a lifetime and Yeah, it's probably the best one he ever did too, and he's done plenty of good ones. Yeah, so yeah, I'll I'll go Sandman just for that fact and <laughs> him post match just asking for beer, which leads to Austin coming down and then just berating Austin to have a beer. <laughs> oh, and did you notice the guys the the ECW guys that didn't come to the ring. No. There was only one, which makes me think the heat was very genuine. My performer of the night. Awesome. Yeah, Mike Awesome wasn't in the ring at the end of the show. Fair enough. Yeah, so it makes me think that, yeah, that there was probably some very legitimate heat. With him and some other guys in the back. and Yeah, like makes me think that the bridges weren't fully... Fully uh, put back together at that point. I don't know if they, if there ever was a resolution to that story in the end. Unfortunately, sadly, yeah. But this was an amazing pay per view. If you've never watched ECW One Night Stand O Five, watch it. So we go on to the second half. It's WWE ECW One Night Stand Two Thousand Six. Commentary team is. Joey Styles and Taz. Uh, show starts with ECW representative Paul Heyman. Chance of ECW, chance of Paulie. Um, Paul goes on to say the tribe of Extreme has risen again, and this time we're going to pour our Kool Aid down the throat of a new global audience. Um, there's then chance of thank you, Paulie, and they throw to the opening video. My memories of this opening promo from Paul Heyman is that for years after this, like, WWE, ECW stuck around for, what, four or five years after this? About four, yeah. Yeah, and Fox 8, like, up until, like, 2010 in February when this brand went under, the Fox 8 commercial for <laughs> ECW on Fox 8 was... Paul Heyman saying the tribe of extreme has risen again in 2010. Like they kept that same promo for years just to advertise it. And it just, it was always laughable because you're talking about an ECW with Ezekiel Jackson as the champion and Tony Atlas on a talk show. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. The tribe of extremes really risen here. Yep. So we'll get there in a sec. Um, I suppose I should have asked you a moment ago, did you watch this one live or did you watch this one after the fact? I watched this after the fact. Um, like I said, rented this DVD. But yeah, the build-up to this pay-per-view is what got me back into wrestling after a couple of years off. Yeah, it's crazy to say that, but yeah, it was. Like seeing Rob Van Dam with the briefcase and about to challenge for the title, like I saw on the internet or something that ECW was coming back and I was like, cool, I'm in. And from this pay-per-view forward, I I didn't watch Raw, I didn't watch SmackDown, I only watched ECW, <laughs> which is so weird <laughs> to think about. 
that like like I sort of look back a little bit fondly on Mike Knox and Kelly Kelly and Kevin Thorne and stuff like that. But yeah, it's sort of the era that brought me back in, particularly this uh, this pay per view. And there was a special before this pay per view, like called WWE versus ECW head to head or something, and they had a John Cena versus Sabu match on there that. Like, I just couldn't believe what I was saying at the time, saying Sabu and John Cena wrestle. It was such a weird thing for me that just, yeah, it hooked me back in. They did air highlights of WWE versus ECW show from last Wednesday, halfway through the show. They showed Big Show winning the Battle Royal for ECW, becoming an ECW member in the process. And then John Cena versus Sabu in a non-title Extreme Rules match ended in a locker room brawl, no contest. An Extreme Rules match ended in a no contest, but whatever. Oh, don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> so first match of the night was a ECW versus Raw match. It's Taz versus Jerry Laura. Jerry attacks Joey Styles at the commentary booth, which leads to Joey Styles running in. Laura throws Styles off which leads to Taz locking in the Taz mission, and he taps out in 35 seconds. Well, obviously Taz has his injuries and all that sort of stuff. He's not technically allowed to do much, but this was all it needed to be. Yeah, so this was um, Taz's last sort of official match, wasn't it? And uh, like I said, I sort of jumped back into the WWE watching the build-up of this pay-per-view, watching the Raws and the SmackDowns leading up to this, not afterwards, but leading up to it. And, yeah, like, Jerry Lawler was pretty much doing his uh, ECW Rise and Fall documentary gimmick of whenever he got the chance, talked about how bad ECW was, how they're all little guys, and talking about how... small Taz is and all that sort of stuff and the feud the build-up to this feud was actually really good yeah it, it was fun for what it was just showing it off um like a Taz farewell match I guess putting him over against Jerry Lawler showing that ECW was good it was a weird spot for this match though I, I get that they probably had to put it on at the start so they could have Taz commentate the rest of the show but, like, typically you wouldn't start off a show with, like, two guys that can't really wrestle that much anymore in a 30-second match. That's not normally how you would kick off a show. But Unless this would have been on Sane Clark Heat or something normally on a, on a Raw or a SmackDown pay-per-view. So then they went on to the second match. It was a ECW versus Raw. Kurt Angle representing ECW versus Randy Orton representing Raw. Orton gets so much pyro, there's a large smoke cloud over the ring for most of the match. And I love, like, the commentators talking about, like, how weird it is for Randy Orton to be in this environment and, um, like, how he demanded that he got his regular pyro treatment despite being in the Hammerstein ballroom and all that sort of stuff and, like, how nothing about Randy Orton fits into this setting it just worked like the smoke sort of accentuated that point so there was chance of f him up angle angle's gonna kill you 
chance of F.U. Auden, followed by You Can't Wrestle to Auden, who then applied a headlock, and once he got the headlock on, there was a chance of boring. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so this was sort of a stock standard, I suppose, WWE-style match from the era. Uh, went 15 minutes 07. EC dub. EC dub. Honestly, though, this was like a really good match. It's just not... It doesn't fit here. Like, put this on a on a backlash or whatever, it's probably going to be match of the night. But on this card and of the expectations of this card, it just d- doesn't work. Yeah, I'd have to agree. So Kurt Angle defeated Randy Orton, so you do have the ECW man winning, but it just... It just didn't feel right for the um, the crowd, I suppose, to for what the night was compared to watching 05. And this is like 2006 Kurt Angle. Like where he's like towards the top of his game at this point, despite having, you know, off-screen problems and all that. But when that bell rang with him during this time period, he, he was on. He was really... Like, Part of me wonders what it would have looked like if Kurt Angle didn't get fired or leave, depends who you ask, and stayed at the ECW brand for a while because this presentation of Kurt Angle, the more serious wrestling machine, it was a really cool idea. They sort of changed his music up a bit, so they got rid of the you suck parts to chat along with so he could be a bit more serious. Yeah, this whole thing of um, Kurt Angle and ECW really intrigues me and makes me wonder what could have been. So when did he leave? It's only two to three months after this. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he barely gets a decent run in ECW before he leaves. So from there it goes on to match number three. It's an all-ECW match. 40 minutes into the pay-per-view and we're getting an all-ECW match on an ECW (laughs) pay-per-view. So it's the FBI, Little Guido and Tony Marmaluke with Big Guido in their corner versus Super Crazy and Tajiri. Crowd chants, welcome back. Chants for Tajiri, Super Crazy and FBI as well as chants of Nacho Libre. Um, Also commentary blatantly somewhat spoiling what would happen towards the end here talking about, oh, Big Guido, he's got to be in. At least as big as the big show. Yeah, so the, the match goes 12-24. It's a good sort of high-flyer tag team match. FBI defeat Super Crazy into Jury. Post-match, Big Show comes down to have a face-down with Big Guido. And they say, quote, The new extreme Big Show has laid waste to all five men. Now, Big Show does that Cobra Clutch backbreaker to Tony Marmaluke. And then literally just ragdolls him out of the ring, which was really cool. The only highlight of this whole thing. But yeah, th- that was really good. It was like, oh yeah, we get an all ECW match. And then here's WWF Big Show. Well, yeah. Uh, if, if you're ever excited about anything... The Big Show's music is always bound to happen in the WWE, to ruin that excitement at least. So from there, there's a interview with JBL 
from SmackDown talking about how he knocked out Blue Meanie last year and there's chance from the crowd of shut the F up to JBL. He goes on to talk about how he's a wrestling god and how he's returning to SmackDown commentary. Yeah, weird to put this in here, but also nice to see JBL like back on that balcony. Like, yeah, him there the year before was so good. It would have been nice for him to have done a little bit more than just that or have had someone in there to shut him up or something like that. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Or even Joel Gertner come back and take the microphone off him in the end. He pretty much just comes in. Oh, he says the show's crap. Says he's the new commentator for SmackDown and then just leaves. Um. So from there, speaking of SmackDown, we go into a world championship match. It's SmackDown's Rey Mysterio, the champion, versus ECW Sabu in an extreme rules match. Do you remember at the time how Sabu got his title match? If I'm correct, I believe he just flat out asked Ray or Ray put out like an open challenge for any ECW guy, something like that. Okay, so as Ray enters, he's still got the ECW mask and gets a mixed reaction from the crowd. You call that mixed? Uh, well, that's what the commentary sort of said. Uh, I would say he was... Um... He was made to look like an absolute suck-up that no one bought that night. Um, yeah, the crowd was not into Ray at all. Yeah, I, I'd I'd have to agree. At certain parts, they were. At certain parts, they were into him, but that's just because Ray's such a good wrestler, and you can't ignore that. But yeah, that, they didn't like the idea of Ray Mysterio, at least. So both men have chairs before the start of the match and the ref tells him to drop the chairs before he starts the match in an Extreme Rules match. Yeah. The crowd boos as Ray teases a 619 and there's chance of Sheik as that's Sabu's uncle. After Ray sends Sabu for a table near the aisle, the ref signals the X, something I hadn't originally noticed on my first watch of the show. And then after... Sabu sends Ray for a table that was hanging on the guardrail. The ref calls for medics from the back. Honestly, the way they broke the table just looked horrible. It was like eight parts to one side to one part on the other side instead of being a clean halfway through break. And that's, that's Sabu for you. Like, Sabu's the guy that jumped through a table and somehow ended up with the table stuck in his eye. Oh, jeez. Oh, Although, probably still a better looking result than what happened between Seth and Rey Mysterio. Oh my god, we're talking about someone getting poked in the eye during a match that has Ray in it. Yeah. Yeah, so from there he calls down the medics, the doctor comes out, sounds like Pee Wee Herman, and says, No, they can't continue. So he rings the bell, and there's just chance of bullshit to end the match as they're both carried out in 9-10. Yeah, very justified chance. But it was a really cool spot. Um, but, yeah, I I don't know. It, it wasn't believable that that rode off the two of them. Not when they were walking out whilst having their arms around other people. They weren't stretched out. They weren't carried out. <laughs> Yeah, it was just an obvious case of they booked themselves in a corner and didn't know how to get out of it, which makes you wonder should they have even booked it to begin with. Now, see, what you do is you have Rhino appear, Gore Sabu, and run off. Oh, wait, that's right, he's in TNA. 
You have JBL come out when Rey Mysterio's down, clothesline the crap out of Sabu, drag Rey on top of Sabu. Rey doesn't know that he cheated to win. JBL keeps his heat. And then you get him chased out of the arena and you somehow somehow ECW doesn't look like a bitch for letting JBL like do a rant on their show. That is a much better decision. Why didn't they do that? <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of ways they could have gotten around it. So from there they go on to another Raw versus ECW match. It's the team of Lita and the co-holders of the WWE Hardcore Championship, that's Edge and Mick Foley, versus the team of Tommy Dreamer, Terry Funk, and Beulah McGillicuddy. This open the promo here. Go ahead. Mick comes out and says, like how he used to like ECW, but he doesn't anymore. Says he appreciated it when it was run by a visionary, Stephanie McMahon. Long live the Alliance. <laughs> yeah, so good. So there's booze for Mick Foley here. Chance of she's a crack whore to Lita, which I'm guessing the crowd's still angry about last year when Edge screwed Matt. Chance of F her up Bueller. Chance for both Tommy and Terry Funk. Chance of we want fire when they pulled out a barbed wire board from under the ring. And surprisingly, there was a chant of this is awesome. Was it not to you? Yes, but having that chant on an ECW show did feel very strange. Yeah, that's true too, yeah. Um, so at one stage, Terry Funk is um, cut open, gets taken to the back, returns with a barbed wire 4x2, sets it on fire and attacks Mick Foley, sending Mick Foley into the board before Edge um, spears Terry off the apron and he lands in the board beside Mick. Tommy Dreamer's down in the ring and Edge spears Bueller for the pin in 1845. Any other thoughts here, Alex? I really enjoyed this. Um, Edge's pin of Bueller where he's basically dry humping her as the ref counts to three. Might not work in today's society, but it, it it makes sense. It was great. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this match. The pre-match promos were amazing. Um, Terry Funk coming back with the bandage and all that sort of stuff. It, it was probably the closest this show felt to a genuine, like, ECW show. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. This match was probably the closest we were going to get on this show including, like, when Edge wins, he grabs Lita, they both go and pull Mick Foley out of the barbed wire, and Terry's still laying there, and they just walk over him to go to the back. Yeah, that was so good, too. Yeah, that was, like, one of those subtle, like, things that was just perfect. And he's sitting there going, get me out, get me out. <laughs> yeah, like, Terry Funk is... ECW Terry Funk is, like, one of the most sympathetic, like old man ever he's just like he gets in these situations but he never wants to be in those situations and he wants help to get out of them it's fantastic so from there it went on to match number six another all ecw match balls mahoney defeated masala tanaka in 503 did you have much to add on this match uh 
No. Oh, this was uncomfortable. Yeah, that's that's what I had here as well. Just hindsight watching this, this wasn't a pleasant watch. This was pretty much just how long did the match go for? Five minutes? Yeah, just over five minutes, 5.03. It was pretty much just five minutes of people hitting each other with a chair. Yeah, it, it was hard to watch. Yeah, the finish is just a chair shot to the head and is the most sickening chair shot to the head I've seen in a long time. It just rings out and it's just ugh, not not pleasant to hear. Um, so from there, there's um, Eugene from Raw is in the ring reading out a ECW poem. They air a video package for the main event. Then the ring announcer's getting ready to announce the main event. And then Eugene comes out and delivers this horrible poem, just trolling the crowd. It was just, it was really well done if you think about it. It was perfect. He says something like, I want to eat a picnic with Sabu, then I want to hug all of you. And the crowd's just chanting to him, shut the F up. Yeah, it was so good. I actually, yeah, yeah, carry on. Which sets up the perfect person to tell him to shut the F up. The Sandman's WWF theme plays, which is still so bland compared to his Enter Sandman entrance of 2005. Yeah, no, that's awesome stuff. He comes down to the ring and instead of talking to Eugene, canes him, Eugene falls outside Sandman reaches under the ring, grabs a second cane, and starts just going, one, two, one, two, to send him to the back. Just chasing him back up the ramp, presumably sending him all the way back to Monday nights. I I thought this was brilliant. I thought this was the perfect thing to do, to sort of troll the crowd. Like, there's nothing more WWE than the Eugene character. And then him coming out, just after they've aired the video package for the main event that is pretty much the sole reason everyone's there. And the ring announces, he gets out the words like, your main event of the evening, and then Eugene comes out, and the whole crowd is pissed. And and it builds up for the heart and soul, in my opinion, of ECW, Sandman, to come out and uh, fend off this gross, disgusting bit of sports entertainment that has invaded their wrestling show. I'd absolutely have to agree there. It was the best use of um, Sandman for this show, which they like so much they'd copy going forward on TV. Ah. Brains. Yes. <laughs> um, so from there, we go on to the main event of One Night Stand 2006. It's the ECW challenger, Rob Van Dam, who won Money in the Bank, and this is his cash-in, versus the WWE champion with his spinner belt, John Cena. So Rob Van Dam enters first. There's chance of Rob Van Dam, RVD, and whole effing show. Cena enters, he picks up the title, holds it above his head, and just walks to the ring with his head down. Yeah, so it was so cool. Oh, John Cena, like, coming out, like, he knows what he's about to deal with. He doesn't have time to listen to this shit. 
give me your hate. I'm just going to walk to the ring with this title above my head because I'm the champ. Yeah, absolutely. So from there, he's getting booed. He gets in the ring, takes off his hat and shirt, throws his hat into the crowd, which gets thrown back, lands on the ring apron, so he just sits it down beside the ring. Throws his shirt in, gets thrown back. Throws his shirt again, gets thrown back again. Throws it a third time, and it comes back. Throws it a fourth time, it lands halfway across the ring on the ring ropes. Decides to throw it a fifth time into the section across from the hard cam. A guy in a black, like, dress suit, um, like a nice suit top and pants, picks it up, wipes his ass with it, and throws it back before flipping off Cena and telling him to get effed. Yeah, that whole thing, like, to this day, like, it it was probably one of the things I remembered the most from this show was, like, Cena having the shirt thrown back at him. And, hey, like, T-shirts aren't the easiest things to throw, especially when you're shoulder-to-shoulder in a standing-room-only crowd like the ballroom there. So I'll give a lot of credit to the fans in the crowd for their throwing ability, to be honest. Like, almost every time they were able to get it to land on top of the ring ropes. The ref introduces Cena, he gets booed, he introduces Rob Van Dam, the crowd chants Rob Van Dam with him. The last time Cena gets his shirt back, Rob goes in his face and does the finger pose and the crowd chants with him. There's chance of F you Cena. The fans start to throw toilet paper at Cena. The match begins. There's chance of you can't wrestle to Cena. So he does a cradle suplex. The crowd does a cheer and boo punch spots as punches are exchanged. There's chance of same old stuff to Cena who goes to the top rope and does like a um, axe hammer drop from the top rope. Chance of overrated to Cena. Chance of f him up Van Dam. Chance of asshole to Cena. Cena has the STFU applied. The refs counting for him to break as RVDs reach the ropes, and Cena refuses to break. So the ref drags him off, tells him off, and Cena lays out the ECW ref. Cena hits RVD with the stairs and a SmackDown ref runs in. Ref counts two and RVD is tossed to the outside. A masked man runs in and spears Cena through a table and also knocks down the SmackDown ref. Edge (laughs) takes the helmet off and the crowd goes wild as he was the rightful number one contender to the WWE Championship. RVD gets up, looks around, sees the refs are out and Cena does a five-star flog splash from the top rope. There's no ref as he's got the cover. And Paul Heyman runs down, screaming, Rob! Rob! (laughs) Dives in the ring, counts the three, and it's announced your new ECW champion, Rob Van Dam, as he celebrates in the ring. The locker room empties as he runs through the crowd, hugs his family, and runs back to celebrate with the locker room. Oh my God, what a match. What a... A match. It was absolutely incredible. Um, I wonder if this match would be just as good with a crowd with half the energy that this crowd had. I don't know if it would have been. But, like, I'm going to have to tip of the hat to John Cena for this. Um, The way he sort of just kept playing off to the crowd for this. Like, he knew what his role was that night. And he let the crowd, like, sort of get into him, heckle him. Like, 
he fed into that so well. And at the point where he's refusing a break, the ECW ref knows that it's the only chance for Rob to win, so doesn't count him out. He pulls Cena off. Cena's saying, like going, oh, I should have won there via disqualification to retain. So he knocks down the ECW ref who's that involved with Rob becoming champion, which leads to a SmackDown ref coming down. So it all plays out well, and as the SmackDown ref's down there, the crowd's sort of unsure if they're going to get screwed or not. To summarise the show for for myself, um, I'm probably only going to have to give this one, like, three beers because it was pretty much a one-match show. Um, the tag match with Edge and Foley and all that is an honourable mention, but this was pretty much a one-match show. Um so, yeah, I'll give this three beers, but my performance of the night, like, for this show, without a shadow of doubt, is John Cena. Just the way, I don't know, he, he just fed into everything. Like, he knew what the crowd wanted of him, and he gave him that. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there. I went four beers just for that main event alone. The crowd really helped through this whole show as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and Rob Van Dam and Cena in that main event. Um, I'm going to have to agree and go, yeah, Cena, because if you have anyone else playing off Rob Van Dam there, like if you had maybe Kurt Angle or um, Rey Mysterio playing off Rob Van Dam, I don't think the crowd would have been as heated with um, them winning. I think a Kurt Angle could make it work. A Rey Mysterio couldn't. I think Kurt Angle would be actually... Um, really good person to put in that role, say, if they did this exact show like a year later as a one-night stand 07, but in the Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, so from there, do you have time for just a couple of quick tidbits? Yeah, let's get into it. What you got? The people who jump ship from Team ECW in 05 to Team WWE in 06, there was Mick Foley who was that passionate about ECW one-night stand in 05 that he went completely the other way in 06. And Ray, who was world champion on SmackDown in 06. Then you had Kurt Angle, who was one of the Raw Crusaders, being drafted to ECW in 06 and being full-team ECW. Yeah, wearing an ECW mouth guard a year later. Very, very strange watching the two back-to-back. The ECW that would follow on the TV. So, post-One Night Stand, on Raw, it was said that the RVD... Cena result stands, and ECW became a one-hour weekly show on the Sci-Fi Network. June 13th was the first show that aired. Paul Heyman presents RVD with the World Heavyweight Championship of ECW. Some fans are chanting, throw it down to RVD for the WWE Championship. But he tells Paul he wants to keep the WWE Championship because, quote, it spins. Edge and Lita appear as well as Cena, and they all attack each other with RVD. The first official match on ECW TV is the Sandman defeating the zombie. And Taz on commentary says, what is this, a rib? (laughs) The zombie grabs the microphone and just moans as the crowd cheers. Sandman comes out, just canes the hell out of the zombie. Then there was a full replay of the entire segment between Taz and Jerry Lawler from One Night Stand 06. Second match was Kurt Angle defeating Justin Credible. There's a shot of Kevin Fawn 
outside the arena. Then there was the Kelly Kelly expose. Taz saying, quote, I really like the new ECW. I think it's going to be better than the old ECW. <laughs> you know, he would have been told to say that. <laughs> Just after a Kelly Kelly and a Kevin Thorne vignette. Yep. There was an extreme battle royal winner to face John Cena at WWE Vengeance. Sabu defeated Al Snow, Ball Mahone, Big Guido, Danny Doring, Little Guido, Roadkill, Stevie Richards, The Big Show, Tommy Dreamer, and Tony Marmaluke. Can you just imagine if somehow we got a Stevie Richards versus John Cena match out of this? Oh, that would have been so good. Balls Mahoney versus John Cena. Yeah, there's lots of really strange options theoretically out of that match. It's Yeah, it's very humorous. So... On June 25th at Vengeance, Sabu lost via submission to John Cena in an Extreme Rules Lumberjack match. There is so many Lumberjacks, I don't know if you want me to read them. No, but I will quickly have a look at this list and uh, note a couple of notable people. Um, Lance Cade, Matt Stryker, Roadkill, Rob Conway. Ooh. It's a real who's that of professional. Trevor Murdoch. I love Trevor Murdoch. Val Venus. There's a friend of mine who uh, pretty much is Trevor Murdoch. Hey, Buck. Yeah, yeah, there's... um, Yeah, so did you watch that match? Yeah, it's bad. (laughs) What is an Extreme Rules Lumberjack match? Basically, they can just use weapons, but there's people on the outside to keep them in the ring. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just ridiculous. So then on June 2nd, it all begins to fall apart. At 10pm, RVD and Sabu were arrested for drug possession. On June 3rd, on Raw, RVD lost the WWE Championship to Edge. On June 4th, on ECW, RVD lost the ECW Championship to The Big Show. And then on June 5th, he was suspended on WWE.com for 30 days. We then fast forward to August the 1st, the Big Show versus Batista ECW Championship match, where the fans chant, you both suck, boring, and change the channel. To which Taz responds, I just remember this from memory, Taz replies with, hey, we like it here on Sci-Fi. Yeah, good comeback. They then go forward to December with the second standalone ECW pay-per-view, December to Dismember. Only one match was advertised before the event. It featured a lot of ECW originals losing and the Extreme Elimination Chamber match. The pay-per-view also featured Raw and SmackDown wrestlers. It had the lowest pay-per-view buy rate with about 90,000 until the launch of the WWE Network in 2014. Originally scheduled for 2007, it was cancelled following all pay-per-views becoming tri-branded and Paul Heyman was relieved of his duties following the pay-per-view. In April 29th of 2007, Mr. Vince McMahon becomes the ECW champion. (laughs) Do rag and all. So that was following WrestleMania of that year with his loss to a certain uh, president of the United States. Oh, what a weird time. 2007 ECW one-night stand 
was rebranded to WWE One Night Stand. It featured Bobby Lashley defeating Mr. McMahon with Shane Umunga in his corner to regain the ECW Championship. Plus featuring John Cena defeating the Great Carly to retain the WWE Championship in a surprisingly good match. A really good match. Like, uh, I think I said on Twitter the other day, John Cena between 05 to 07 is just ridiculously underrated. Like, he was at the top of his game at that point. And that's like eight years before the US title open challenge when everyone decided it was finally time to start saying John Cena was a good wrestler. Like, John Cena in this time period is just ridiculously good. Fair enough. So from there... In late 2007, a talent exchange program was in place allowing ECW and SmackDown wrestlers to appear on both brands. And then from late 2008, a talent exchange program was in place allowing ECW and Raw wrestlers to appear on both brands. During that time, the United States Championship, as well as both the WWE and World Tag Team Championships were briefly under the control of ECW. Following the 2009 draft, the Talent exchange programs were quietly ended. And then on February 2nd, 2010, Mr. McMahon announced ECW was going off the air. It last aired February 16th, 2010, where Ezekiel Jackson defeated champion Christian. Christian had been champion for 205 days, the longest under the WWE banner and the fifth longest in terms of combined days under ECW or WWE. Ezekiel was champion for less than five minutes. Or technically he's still champion to this day. (laughs) Perhaps. Yeah, so anything really to add on the ECW timeline there? Uh, I think it was around the time period that Bobby Lashley became ECW champion that I started to tune out. Like I said, uh, ECW uh, on TV, like them coming back, was a big reason as to why I became, uh, why I came back to watching professional wrestling again. And, um, yeah, I enjoyed a few harsh months there. And by the time December 2007 comes, uh, 2006 comes around and Bobby Lashley's your champ and he's feuding with the big show and Umaga and all that sort of stuff. I tuned out and pretty much didn't come back to wrestling again until a a few years after that. So do you have a brief time for WWE Untold, the second coming of ECW? All right. I didn't realize you were going to review this on here, so I wouldn't have mentioned it earlier. But um, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, so this is um, part of the Untold series where it features audio interviews from various people. This one having Paul Heyman, Shane McMahon, Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman over stock footage or photos of ECW. Um, so it opens up with Paul saying, I think the entire relaunch of ECW was doomed from the start. Goes on to mention that he felt like Within a year, WWE, ECW would be a disaster. Dreamer said at the time there was a meeting where Paul no-showed the original ECW trying to relaunch with new syndication. So from there they talk about the um, 
the one night stand saying how it was RVD's idea due to the success of the DVD sales of Rise and Fall of ECW. Zack Ryder said that he was in the crowd that night and it was one of the best shows he had been at live as a fan. Dreamer said Shane McMahon was the one who pushed for ECW to come back as a third brand. Paul said Shane came to him and wanted to do an online presentation and describes it as being the ideal place for new talent to get ready and older talent to refresh. But as TV networks wanted to pay for ECW, it was taken away from Shane and given to Vince. Shane says, if we were digital, we would have been allowed more freedom. They mentioned coming back after the second one-night stand and immediately being positioned as the third brand. Tommy said, as soon as that show ended, I knew it wasn't going to be the same. The WWE refs enforced count-outs and no-weapon-type rules. Big Show said, at one of the events, Sandman took him aside and showed him the merch stand where there was no ECW merch. All hope seemed to be lost when RVD and Sabu got pulled over and suspended and RVD lost the title. Dreamer had asked for his release following the December to Dismember pay-per-view. Paul had resigned twice in three weeks before the pay-per-view, but Stephanie didn't accept his resignation. And once Paul left, Dusty Rose was put in charge. Seeing people like Sam Punk, The Miz, John Morrison, Zack Ryder, Sheamus, Kofi Kingston all get their WWE main roster debuts. Shane said, we recreated the developmental system, which is now NXT under Triple H slash Paul Levesque. Uh, Dreamer said he's proud to be the only man who's held the ECW World Heavyweight Championship and the WWE ECW Championship. And it closes with Paul Heyman saying, had this new promotion been called anything but ECW, it would have succeeded. Uh, any thoughts there, Alex? That last point there, if it was called anything but ECW, it would have succeeded is probably correct. And I think what we see now with NXT on Wednesday nights, Thursday mornings for us lucky buggers, um, is pretty much what they had hoped ECW would be for them. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. Like ECW, like it was, it was shackled in a sense of being tied to those three letters, and then as it began developing, it. It sort of had nowhere for people to move up. It didn't bring back the TV title as a mid-carder title for that brand. It didn't bring back the ECW tag titles for the tag teams on that brand. Those people either had to just fight each other for nothing or try to get on the SmackDown for, or Raw to fight for those tag titles or those US IC titles. Yeah, that's it. Um yeah, Doom to begin with was pretty much the best way to say it. And, yeah, they said in the documentary, like, in uh, Untold, that ECW One Night Stand 2005 would have been the perfect way to have sent off e ECW for good. Yeah, yeah. And hindsight's twenty twenty. They probably thought, oh, we can come back and we can bring it out to a new crowd. But they were just tired. They were they had their hands tied from the very beginning as soon as they announced that that's what it was going to be called. If they if they had called it NXT, then or I don't know something something W. Yeah, 
If if it was just called hate or velocity or whatever, it would have been awesome. It would have had more chance to to succeed than it did. Yeah. I just got an idea, literally just got an idea for a future review for us. And perhaps this is something you're going to cut out of the podcast. Perhaps it's not. But do you have access to Impact Plus? I can. I'm thinking at some point we review TNA Hardcore Justice 2010 with EV 2.0 and the final one night stand of ECW. Oh, jeez. Sure, why the hell not? I might chuck that on for next month's menu. Ooh, yes, we'll have to be talking about that on the next show. But uh, speaking of that, do you want to let the humans know what is coming up next time? Yeah, uh, humans, it is finally time for us, um, myself, the chief executive uh, booker man of WCW to put out my show and you being... uh, Christopher Kennedy McMahon um, putting up your WWF show and uh, let's see how this whole fantasy thing goes. Yes, yes, it'll be very, very exciting to see what happens. Yeah, I'm really interested to see uh, see what you've done with your card and I have a feeling like your show might be SmackDown 02, where it's very in-ring product, and mine might be very Raw 02, where it's like, yeah, there's a Katie Vick storyline and this swerves, bro. I think you're going to be very wrestling and I'm going to be very sports entertainment, I think. Maybe. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Speaking of Katie Vick, do you remember Claire Lynch? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Wasn't she, like, on Impact as AJ's lover and then, like, the next year she was on SmackDown as Daniel Bryan's lover? Uh, there was something weird like that, yeah. Oh, man. Wrestling. I, I can't help but feel like that you and I are both subconsciously saying to each other that we need to go on a TNA binge. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, like, I, I almost feel like You've done a sensational job on this podcast of doing a pretty much a very comprehensive like WWE ECW retrospective and tip of the cap to you. I think you're going to have to start working on a TNA retrospective, particularly the Russo years. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Other than that, yeah, give us a follow on SoundCloud, Twitter, Spotify, Podbean, Facebook. Let us know what you think of the show. Other than that, peace out, humans. Toodaloo!